Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets Up listeners? Back here for episode number 55 of the Mets Up podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Giraffe Neck Mark, here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Talking about, it's over. It's the final series of the season. The Mets season's over. I mean, it's been over for a while, but it's actually officially over. There are no more baseball games to be played. Played the three games against the Braves. Got a win. We, we got a win in there. But really, at the end of the day, this season was a massive failure a massive disappointment and while we are not going to completely recap the season in today's episode we are focusing on the three games that happened and then we're going to have plenty of episodes going over report cards for the players best wins worst losses I mean we're going to go super in depth this offseason because well we got to come up with some content for sure we will not be addressing that right now so if you are looking forward to that make sure you're following the podcast make sure you're subscribed Mets up everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, on the YouTube channel, Mets up podcast. You can find all the video content. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, drop us a follow, drop us a rating, drop us a review. It really does help us grow. But again, that is when we're going to be covering all the off-season stuff and you know, season recaps will be after this episode. So after episode 55, you'll get probably the content that you're really waiting for here. But if you're still interested in hearing me and James's thoughts of the last series of the year, as well as some minor you know, storytelling and some minor recapping, this is going to be it for you. So, James, after seeing that Atlanta Brave series, uh, I mean, there, there can't be too much else to say besides what we've already said all year. I'm um, honestly very truly just relieved that this has come to an end, that I don't have to deal with the Mets on a nightly basis anymore. You could just put the Mets out of your brain for a few weeks here. We can all enjoy some incredible playoff baseball that's going to be on tap. Wildcard game starting this week. General just football sense in the air and just not really think about this Mets team for a little while. Yeah, no, it'll be a nice, relaxing few weeks, few months here until the baseball season really does get started up again. And until the CBA actually gets signed, it's everything's kind of up in limbo because the season may not actually happen. We'll see how that goes. That could be an entire episode on its own, honestly, about the CBA implications with the Mets. But yeah, the Mets season's over. Um, we're both wearing black, funny enough. I think we joked about this, that we we're going to wear black. Uh, yeah. We did it to the last home mm-hmm. game as the funeral. We also mm-hmm. did to the podcast today. It's We're giving our final funeral to the 2021 Mets. After this, don't really want to think too much about them. I want this team to be a thought in the past and to move on to better things. Absolutely, but of course, we can't do that because this is our show and this is our content. We're going to talk a lot about the Mets, but... We made a commitment to you guys, listeners, to go over all 162 Mets games, to be here after every series, and by damn it, do we have notes on these last three Mets games ready for you right now. It's truly fascinating because there's just really not much to talk about here, but there's like a, there's a few little tidbits that are cool to say, like Francisco Lindor got his thousandth hit during this series of his career, little things like that that we'll definitely bring up. 
So let's get it started. Game one, we saw Tyler McGill on the mound, and it was great because McGill has gone through a little bit of a rough patch here, similar to Taiwan Walker. This is a guy who doesn't have as many innings on his arm as of recent, so as we've been stretching him out longer and longer, it seems like his performances have become a little more erratic, but he ended the season on a high note with a really, really strong start in Atlanta. No, he definitely did. He went five innings. He only gave up one hit, no runs, no walks, struck out six Atlanta Braves. He got 14 whiffs, which was a game high. His fastball itself got 10 whiffs on 25 swings, which is good for 40%. And that's amazing because he was throwing 65% fastballs in this game. The off-speeds were not really a part of his game plan. But he also maxed that fastball out at 97.6 miles an hour, which I went back and checked, and that was the hardest pitch that Tyler McGill threw all year. So while we're a little bit worried about his workload and the innings he's pitched and how that may have been affecting his effectiveness, I just said affecting effectiveness, that's bizarre, But how it may have been affecting his effectiveness over the last six or eight weeks of the season here, it was nice to see that he still had a lot of gas left in the tank. And also, when I learned that that was the fastest pitch he threw all year, I found out that Tyler McGill actually threw the four fastest pitches of his entire career, which is also this season, in this game against the Braves. Maybe fast gun down there in Atlanta, hot hot gun down there. Isn't that where DeGrom hit like 102 as well? It might be a little tinkering with something down there to get some extra MPH but I mean like you said with McGill and the innings and the concern about his arm and everything like that it seems like it's not really the problem of velocity or anything it's always been command especially of recent for him and the command seemed to be at least on for the five innings that he was pitching in this game definitely another problem had been with McGill was that his off-speed pitchers were getting hit a little bit harder than they were early in the year it seemed like he kind of snuck up on people with a change-up that was not really regarded as plus and then looked to be plus and now seems like has reverted back into the proverbial pumpkin. So he kind of took those out of the repertoire this game and it paid huge dividends because he was very effective and the Braves could not catch up to his fastball all night. And I think this might be a a little bit of a foreshadowing to the way we see Tyler McGill used probably early on next year depending on the pitching depth we amass. Because he only threw 75 pitches in this game and five innings even though he was so effective. He didn't see one Atlanta Brave hitter for a third time. And I think that when you're a guy like Tyler McGill who needs to lean on his fastball like he does with more inconsistent breakers, and of course that is just because he's not as developed as a pitcher as he will be in the, next, in the coming years, this is a good strategy because it allows him to get into a game, get out of it, and maintain his effectiveness for as long as possible rather than letting him stretch out, trying to go six, seven, eight innings, which he has done on occasion this season, done very well. But sometimes you'd rather have one in the hand than two in the bush. You take your effective innings, you let him... Like that? I like that. I like that. I, I love a good one in the hand, two in the bush kind of saying. It's a great saying, but you just let him take his effectiveness with him and, again, be positive, end the season, and not let him be the one who gives up the runs because his repertoire just might not be decent enough to or deep enough at this point in his career to actually be able to be a true starter as the old heads of baseball would think about it. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, we also have to put into perspective the huge jump that he's made this season. I mean, his first major league season after, what, not pitching even above A ball before coming into this year, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And he ended up, I mean, with a really nice year. 18 starts, 4.52 ERA, whip at 1.28, FIP at 4.69, 10K per nine, basically. There are definitely some positive things to pick out here with Tyler McGill, That are going to be something that I think we can build on going into the future for sure. He's not going to be this ace. He's not going to be this frontline guy. But the fact of the matter is that he's going to be a part of this rotation. He's going to get innings, I would believe, over David Peterson going forward. At least I feel more comfortable with him than David Peterson. I don't know how you feel, but I I think this is a really nice way for him to end a strong rookie season, all things considered. Yeah, no doubt. I just think that 
the Mets as an organization, us fans, cannot be married to conventional wisdom when considering Tyler McGill. Like he might have his best path to success as a three, four, five inning type of pitcher. Similarly to how you see the Rays use guys like Colin McHugh and Michael Waka on this fine Sunday, putting together an incredible five innings of work in Yankee Stadium. Like some guys just should max out that. Drew Rismusen is another guy who comes to mind who doesn't really have a very deep arsenal of pitches. He really only throws a fastball and some sliders. But when the fastball is effective, you can gas it by people. You can get enough people out to, again, maintain this general level of effectiveness. A guy like Tyler McGill being the 6'7 starting pitcher in the Mets roster next year, but still being on the major league team and still giving the Mets innings in three or four or five inning um, little batches could be great, especially if you piggybacks on a guy like Peterson or vice versa. And each of those guys can give three or four innings at a time. Yeah, no, I, I think that it's definitely a good, at the absolute worst, depth piece to have and He's definitely got value on this team. What's also really nice about this game, too, besides McGill, you know, ending his season on a high note, is Brandon Nimmo continues to be the guy that we thought he's going to be. Extend Nimmo. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what we're going to do. We talked about it a little bit last episode, but the two home runs, I mean, he just continues to be an absolute beast and, I mean, quite possibly one of the best offensive players on this team. Literally, I don't know where this offense has paltry as it was all season have been without Brandon Nimmo. There's no doubt that the Mets have to open up negotiations to re-sign Nimmo, especially based on the fact that it's a good chance Mike Conforto is not back, and that while the outfielders market is plentiful, it's not really filled with many long-term options, and neither are the Mets' upper minors. I know we've talked about Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty playing some corner outfield, but the defensive steps that Brandon Nemo has made this year has made him basically indispensable to this roster, and he needs to be in blue and orange for the foreseeable future. And just the main knock on Nemo is durability, and I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. You are injury-prone until you're not. Eventually, at some point, he's going to grow out of this, just like guys like Trey Turner, I say all the freaking time, do. And then he's going to be a stalwart who's playing 150 games with a 430 on base percentage and a 125, 135 WRC+. Plus. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stan, two guys who were like just too big for the game in baseball, both had pretty healthy years, all things considering this year. It's the same thing, like you said. I will say, I don't think you're going to convince Brandon Nimmo to do any yoga like those guys no. started doing. I, now, that is some foo-foo shishi stuff that Brandon yeah. Nimmo is not interested in. He's no, interested no. in doing his own research, not necessarily this modern medicine type stuff. And let's also talk about, you know, a guy who's been around this Mets team for quite some time, Jerry's Familia, in pitching what could be, you know, his last appearance as a New York Met. Uh, there's just probably not a way that he really comes back outside of like a one-year, $2 million deal, because at that point, it's so cheap that worst-case scenario, you cut him and you eat them $2 million. But uh, yeah, in classic Familia fashion, he gave up a run, because as good as he has been at times... Classic Familia, he's going to give up one. If you give him a run to give up, he will do it. This is just what Yaris Familia does. Since for about, what, like 10 years now, he's been a member of the of the Mets organization. Which is crazy. Mets major League say, Team, nine, I think, minimum. Crazy. He just he makes things more difficult than they need to be. He got back-to-back strikeouts to start this inning. Then he let a single, and then he threw a wild pitch, and then Ozzy Albies laced a double. And that's just what Yaris Familia is going to do. And I'm happy that he went out the way he came in. <laughs> Poorly. Guns blazing, uh, being wild, having the crazy sinker that he does, and then also losing it in the same inning because it's Jerry's Familia. Sometimes he legitimately doesn't know where he's going. In fact, he might not ever know where it's going, which no. is kind of kind of uh, makes sense for how he's pitched this year. But I got a good feeling that we are not going to be seeing Jerry Familia back in Queens. He also made a little Instagram post, too, that was very heartfelt, kind of n- noted or nodded at the idea that 
the reunion's kind of over here and he's going to be going elsewhere. That Instagram post, as like heartfelt and it was, and that familia has been a Met for a very long time, it got way too much steam on social media. Way too picked up for a guy who, for the most of his career, has been just a hair above average with the New York Mets. I mean, like, it seems like that because VR made a post too um, on Instagram about playing for the Mets. There's nothing more than a Met fan loves than to hear how great a Met fan is. I think we know that. We love when people recognize how great of fans we are, and we are great fans. I, I think I definitely stand by that. In the grand scheme of baseball, we're some of the best. But there's nothing more than a Met fan loves to see than a player admit how good the fans are and how much they love playing for the team and how much they love New York because we truly have had guys that hated being here and did not want to be a part of this team. It's tough to be a Met. It is not easy by any means. So to see that appreciation is always nice, but yeah, there was way too much heat around. I mean, honestly, both of those posts. We love Jonathan VR as much as the next guy, but there should be really no sentimental value with a guy who like stepped up on a team that severely underperformed. If you're signing a one-year contract for less than $10 million and you don't have a deep playoff run that includes like tons of clutch performances, you do not deserve to have a sappy Instagram post. You just don't. I'm sorry. We're not talking like David Eckstein or somebody who like had this like, yeah, exactly. Like legendary playoff run, Steve Pierce. We're talking yeah. about Jonathan Villar, who hit 720 OPS on the season for us. And got way too many at-bats. Way too many, way too many. But nonetheless, Familia, probably his last time in a Mets uniform. We end it with a strong Edwin Diaz save. We don't get the trumpets, but we do see Edwin Diaz just shut the door on what has been a really, really good year as a closer for the Mets. While it has had its roller coasters and ups and downs, I think if you are a member of this fan base, a member of this team, you're extremely pleased with how Edwin Diaz pitched this year especially because, like, you know, he pitched well in 2020, but there was no fans there. There was fans there this year, and he really seemed to step up. Definitely. And at the end of the day, this was a successful season for Edwin Diaz, even as much as anybody else would like to admit. He, he struck out almost 35% of the batters he faced, which is one of the lower marks in his career, but he also only walked 8.9%, which was a massive improvement from last year when he was better but still walked 13% of opposing hitters. His ERA was in the mid-threes, which you don't like to see from a reliever, but that's only because he just continued to be home-run prone, albeit much less home-run prone, much, much, much less home-run prone than the awful 2019 that we all like to forget. And he wound up with a, a 2.48 FIP, which I'll take that. I'll take that every day of the week from Edwin Diaz. Yeah, I mean, also it was like home and road splits were terrible, and we know about non-safe situations with the Mets keep throwing him out there into... There's definitely a way to get the most out of Edwin Diaz. We just got to be smarter with him at times sometimes. And he, again, he just gave up less home runs, which is usually the biggest bugaboo for Edwin. Lowest home run per flat ball rate of his entire career. So we're going to take that into 2022, and if all the Mets fans have to understand he is a closer, and he's a very good one. And then we also got a really interesting MLB debut, not by anybody on the Mets, but by an Atlanta Braves prospect by the name of Spencer Strider. Rose from low A to MLB in one season. He was a draft pick last year. I don't remember what round he was. I mean, he's a top five round pick. That's all you need to know. He might have even been, what, second round, I think? He was fourth. Fourth. Okay. Regardless, he's he's a highly touted prospect of sorts. Got to make his major league debut, and I know you have a little uh, little something on him as well. No, I mean, Spencer Strider rose this year from low A to the major leagues just simply because he was too good for the levels of the minor leagues he was at each step of the time. At low A, he struck out 56% of the pitters he faced. Oh my God. In high A, he struck out 39%. In double A, 35%. And just a few brief triple A innings, 75% of the batters he faced. Those are numbers that we have not seen since James Karinczak's run in 2019. And that in guy the minor was leagues. cheating like a filthy bastard. <laughs> cheating like a bastard, won't get vaccinated. A lot, a lot of things going with James Karinczak. And he might have just lost a spot in the Major League team because Emmanuel Classe walked in this year and is going to contend for the Rookie of the Year award. But... It was cool to see Spencer Strider make his debut. He like he touched 100 miles an hour, which, of course, that gun might have been a little bit hot, but this is a guy who's going to sit to the high 90s. 
He has a devastating slider that he didn't really break out that much. He was just basically throwing fastballs. But this is a pitcher who I think is probably the most talented of this entire young crop of Braves pitchers who we've seen debut in the last two or three years. That includes Ian Anderson, who had a near all-star performance in 2020 if all-stars would have existed then. But Mets fans are going to have to worry about Spencer Strider a lot over the next couple of years, so get used to seeing the name. And the last thing I wanted to bring up from this game was that we got a very brief return to the booth from our dear friend Howie Rose after he has spent two months away from the microphone. But Howie actually legitimately needed one more day for... I, this honestly might have been a joke now that I'm reading it back, but he did still get stepped in the booth for a few... Oh, this is actually Sunday's game, not today's game. I'll mention it anyway. We're already here. Who gives yeah. a shit? He said he needed one more game for service time. So he did about 20, 30 minutes at around first pitch with Eddie Coleman and Wayne Randazzo. So it was just nice to hear Howie's voice after we had him for a long time. How do you sound? Great. Good. I like to hear that. We... We still don't really know what happened. It's really none of our business, but I hope that the dude is doing healthy, and I hope we see him back. Yeah, definitely. It definitely looks like he's also lost a little bit of weight because he's been putting out some Twitter videos recently. He'd been, he's always had a gangly neck, so this also could just be just random hearsay, but he advertised like this weird seltzer the other day, which was kind of funny. I've never seen Howie Rose like do a promoted ad. And also, if you're promoting an ad for a seltzer, I don't know why you're picking like the 70-something-year-old Jewish voice of the Mets. I guess maybe this was Alyssa's doing, but just still nice to see Howie. I've never lived any moment of my life without Howie Rose, and I really don't want to. So this was good to have him back. Good to have him back for sure. Let's move on over to game two here, and uh, we we did it. James, we did it. Actually, I shouldn't say we did it. Carlos Carrasco did it. A first inning without a run. That was cool, and then uh, the rest of the game happened, and he just made up for it the rest of the game. Yeah, Carlos Carrasco did a backflip where he usually does, but still, a long national nightmare is over. Carlos Carrasco did not give up a run nor a home run in the first inning. He just waited until the third, fourth, and fifth to give up all of those. And again, this is just this just lost year of Carlos Carrasco. Yeah. It started poorly. There was a setback. It happened poorly in the middle. He showed some glimmers of the pitcher he once was and the pitcher hopefully we think he can be. And then he, in his last four stars, has really reverted into a guy who is utterly ineffective. So, just crumple this one up, throw it in the garbage, don't even think about it, Mets fans. Carlos Carrasco didn't pitch at all this year. Get ready to have him walk into the rotation next year as a hopefully pretty sturdy and reliable middle-of-the-rotation piece. Yeah, I mean, like, we expected a lot more this year, but we also didn't think he was going to get a season start in what, late July, early August, which has ended up what happened because of all the setbacks. I'm not like we've said all podcasts all year long. We're not going to look too much into Carrasco's season. It's poppycock at this point. It really is just it's like an extended rehab, basically. He's still in spring training, more or less. I mean, come on, we could call a spade a spade here. The poor guy lost the whole year. Just give him time. He's an old, he's older now, but he's savvy. He's a veteran. I'm pretty excited for to see him in 2022. Yeah, get a full year of spring training under him and getting ready and proper with the team. He should be fine. And we'll also understand very much how he's viewed internally based on the way the Mets approach their offseason um, off plan for starting pitching. Like if we, they believe that Carlos Carrasco is still like the 2-3 that he was the last time he pitched a full season, possibly, then I bet you see the Mets be less aggressive specifically with Marcus Stroman and some of the other mid-tier starting pitchers on the market. So we're still crossing our fingers for Alex Cobb here at the Mets Up Podcast. That's really what could save this organization. One year of Alex Cobb, possibly two if we if we really want to get crazy. But we're going to learn a lot about where the Mets think Carlos Carrasco is over the next few months without even watching a pitch. 
Yeah, no, I, the Mets whole offseason plan, which we're going to talk about many episodes, is going to be super, super complicated, I think. I don't think anything is going to be easy. I don't think there's any easy decisions here with the Mets. I mean, the easy decision would be uh, spend all the money in the world and get everybody, but we just know that's not going to happen. So that's why you got to tune into the next few episodes when we start talking about this stuff. Getting back on track, though, here with Game 2, Braves, Mets, I mean, we did the same thing that we've always done. We've let a team get ahead, and then we... Sh- try to like score late but it's just a little too late i mean mm-hmm. five nothing and then we're like oh yeah that's right we're, we're playing a baseball game that's what it is pete got doubled to get us on the board which again by the time this game was going on pizza 40 sadly died so we want to thank all the listeners that rode with us on this mission to get pizza 40 home runs we got close we got closer than i thought we would if i'm being yeah, honest definitely closer. much closer than i thought we would but at least he got a nice uh nice hit got an rbi gives a fuck i don't know get money for him in arbitration i hope Conforto hit what might have been his last home run as a Met, a real scorcher down the line, really finally seemed to get hot in these last two weeks here, which is just so, so great. So, so bittersweet. Fantastic. So bittersweet. Just tons of bittersweet moments this entire series. And then just my funny stat of this game is that Jonathan VR in the eighth inning hit the 26th hardest ball in play by any qualified hitter all season long, 114.9 miles an hour. Because, like, why the fuck not? Because he's a Caballero loco. He's literally, I mean, he's a madman. He was a nice spark plug on this team. He was a nice little jolt of energy when we needed it. And he was a good depth piece. He just ended up becoming an everyday third baseman. And we found out a little bit more as to why um, because of J.D. Davis stuff, which I'll bring up right after you tell me. Uh, did you not see that? I did see that, but I totally forgot about it. I didn't think okay. that's where you're going. Yeah, uh, you, you gave me like a face of shock, and I was like, okay, hold on. Wait, do I need to <laughs> explain this to you? Yeah, I mean, like, Jonathan VR has been a nice little player for us this year, for sure. And like I said, with J.D. Davis, we're, we kind of figured out why he played so much. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of Mets fans, I think, have become a little bit entranced with the Jonathan VR potential this season. There's a lot of people clamoring for him to come back, which I think is something that really can't even be a part of steps one through ten of this offseason, is worrying about Jonathan VR's extension. One year, $2 million again? like Four, maybe. Yeah. But, like, it's just funny that, first of all, this Jonathan VR ball in play wasn't even hit. He reached on an error. He just hit it so hard that it got through. And then this was a harder ball in play at 114.9 miles an hour than either Salvador Perez, Rafael Devers, or Tyler O'Neill had all year. Three of the most prolific power hitters in baseball, Jonathan VR put the ball in play harder than those guys. So that just tells you everything you need to know about Jonathan VR. So he could be the best player in baseball or the worst. It depends on which side of the bed he woke up on. He is what you would call a high-variance player, I believe, right? Yeah, very much so. Look at that. I'm dropping some analytical terms out here. Your boy's learning. We're learning. A full season of a podcast with James, the, I don't want to say sabermetrics guy, but way more than me. Yeah. So I'm starting to pick up a few things here and there. Yeah, it really turns the, turn the tide. If nothing else, we've both definitely grown our baseball intellects this season. Oh, 1,000%. And we chipped away. The Braves bullpen stinks. I mean, we, we knew this all year long. That was the thing I tweeted out like day one. I was like, wow, it's crazy how bad this bullpen's going to be. It's going to be a huge problem. Uh, just they got lucky that the Mets really blew it, and so did the Phillies all year long that nobody could pull ahead. Braves just ended up being the better team throughout the entire season, and that's why they win the division. Mets lose game two. Now, I want to uh, just hash on that J.D. Davis thing here a little bit because I mentioned it about you know two seconds ago, Jonathan VR. We found out that he's getting some off-season surgery on his wrist, right, I believe, um, because his wrist just hasn't felt right all season, and we kind of knew that when he had those weird IL stints, and he did just get benched kind of out of nowhere when he was one of the few guys hitting now we know his defensive prowess well it just is non-existent Mm -hmm. but he still was swinging the bat well this wrist thing makes a lot more sense but also at the same time what took the Mets so long why were we holding JD Davis around to just 
sit on the bench and take up a spot when like he probably needed surgery what three months ago like uh, probably june when he first got injured if we're being honest it's just like a weird oversight thing again that makes you go like this is not what we thought steve cohen era baseball would be like this is very will pond like and you don't know whether or not that was jd davis is call to some degree because if you're a player who even early in the year could probably read the writing on the walls that you didn't have a guaranteed spot in this team, either now or in the future. I, if given the choice, would rather play than not, just so I could do what I think I could do in my head and prove my worth. But the opposite of that happened with J.D. Davis, and he just turned out to not really be that good for a whole nother year again, even further muddying the waters on his status and team for next season. Also, the fact that the Mets just didn't really have that many right-handed power bats to spare. Like, this is going to be a crazy thing to say. But if someone like Jose Ramirez was just healthy the whole time and just able to do, like, any type of anything, which is basically the same thing as J.D. Davis, like, maybe that would have changed the perspective and let J.D. Davis take the eight weeks off that he needed to with surgery and come Jose back. Ramirez? Martinez. Jose Martinez. Oh, okay. That was stupid. I, I, I'm not going to cut that. I'm going to leave all this in. All right. It's <laughs> <laughs> last episode. Whatever. I was like, I was like, Jose Ramirez is not a Met. Did you just make up a trade? What happened? <laughs> I got hit in the head before. I don't know what's going on. But, again, if they just had another right-handed power bat that they could have leaned on to play against certain lefties, like maybe this would have gone differently. But the Mets just didn't have the access to that this year. Next year, you're going to have maybe a wealth of options with Mark Vientos possibly joining this major league roster at some point. And, again, just hopefully the Mets go deep into signing as many, like quadruple-A, like low-caliber major league-type players to just fill their triple-A roster and the bottom of this major league roster. Sure, maybe. But when you don't have that many right-handed options, like – you J.D. Davis leaving this team, you lose an entire dimension, which is yeah, crazy no. that this J.D. Davis can make your team lose an entire dimension. It just points again to the poor team building of the, the Mets in the offseason, but it was true. Yep. It was. That's, that's what we're going to hammer on all offseason is the team building because it seems like that well, we have good players. We know that. We definitely have good players on this roster, but the depth, the team building aspect is something this team really needs to address, and we'll cover that all offseason long. Now, let's move on to game 162. A lot of great game 162s out there in Major League Baseball. This was not one of them. This was a meaningless game that had no sense of, who cares? Who cares? There was one thing to really pay attention to is no Syndergaard pitching an inning again. And I mean, he got hit because he's still just not really like ready, but he has to do rehab. It's a weird like catch 22, but also it doesn't matter. It definitely doesn't matter. And there were games in AAA all week. He could have been pitching there. It's possible. He looked so bad today that I think the AAA hitters would have crushed him. He, again, just threw fastballs and change-ups, but that's going to go very differently against the Braves. Even the Braves, like, partial B team today. Like, not all the players played. Like, most of them did, I think. But, like, Jorge Soler was hitting leadoff. But, like, he really fucking hit leadoff. The first at-bat of the game, he hit a piss missile off the Syndergaard, 118 off the bat. Hardest ball he's put in play all year just to cap an incredible second-half surge that Jorge Soler has a member of the Atlanta Braves. It's also definitely worth noting that Thor's velocity was way down from Tuesday night, which I'm sure was a little bit of adrenaline because that was in front of the home crowd's first appearance in 2019. This was the second appearance in the last game of the year that everyone knew didn't mean shit. But he only maxed out 94 miles an hour, which if you're maxing out 94 and only throwing change-ups, you might as well be a relief pitcher on the Royals because you're not going to be effective. <laughs> relief pitcher on the Royals, my God. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, there's there's not a real whole lot of analysis to go into this outside of the velo being down, but like even then it's really like it's I don't want to say it's insignificant, but like we're trying to make something out of really nothing at this point. No, it really is nothing. There's no point in trying to analyze this. It was a weird situation. I'm still not that thrilled about it. I'm still left with tons and tons of questions about this offseason. I do firmly believe that 
the Mets are going to offer no Syndergaard a qualifying offer and that he will accept it unless some Cavalier team out there decides to give him a multi-year deal at like an appropriate average annual value, which I still think is possible. I think a forward-thinking team like the Rays could or the Astros could come out with like a weirdly cheap and secure offer while still giving Syndergaard another chance for free agency in his early 30s, which has proven to be a very lucrative time still for the best pitchers in the league, and just kind of steal him from us, and we'll watch him for the next three years become a very ta- a very good pitcher again. Like, watch the Astros give him, like, three three for 65. Yeah, no, we know he can he can be that kind of pitcher. We talked about it last episode, too. Going back to your boy Spencer Strider, got his first win, looked really good again. Just seems like, like you said, he's going to be pretty nice pitcher for the Braves. Seems like the best guy that we've seen come up recently. Yeah, no doubt. He threw 91% fastballs in this, just again, build on the fact that he they told him to come up and only throw fastballs for these couple of outings here. I bet they wish that they could put him in their playoff bullpen. I don't know the exact rule there, whether or not they can, because he was a September call-up hmm. and not uh, a roster move. Like, I know when you pull in the new September guys off waivers, like Jose Iglesias can't play in the playoffs for the Red Sox. I don't know how that works in minor leaguers. But I think you would have to be able to. That would be like a weird punishment if, like... Just just say there's a world where your entire team gets hurt and you have to use your minor leaguers. Like then you're like, eh, nobody in the playoffs can't use them. Maybe like with IL stints, it can work. But it's like is Shane Baz can he pitch for the Rays in the playoffs? Even though he came up in September, I think so. I think so because it's uh, it's a forty man thing, right? So it might be if he was on the forty man. I, to Maybe me, it is the forty man. Yeah. That's what it feels like. But I also wouldn't be surprised if you're just from the organization. As long as you didn't change organizations, you can be a part of it. Who knows? Uh, he he should be the Braves closer in the playoffs. He's by far the best reliever in this bullpen. Richard Rodriguez is unimpressive. Will Smith has had a down year. Chris Martin is trash. Who else is out there still? Who's that guy Webb who hit Kevin Pillar uh, in the face? Fuck Luke that Jackson. guy. Luke Jackson's been a joke for like three years running now. Tyler Matzik was okay, but he he hasn't pitched in a while. I think he's injured. I don't know who even knows. But this guy it has by far the most electric stuff of any possible Braves reliever. And if he's not starting in the playoffs, he should be relieving because yeah. he has some crazy stuff going on. And then uh, in terms of our bullpen, we got to see an outing from a guy that I truly forgot existed. I Robert Gesellman. You could have told me that he was in the KBO, and I would have believed that more than that he was still on the Mets. I forgot. I forgot he existed, but uh, Robbie G got in the game, and he, he pitched. He pitched. Remember when his sister liked one of my tweets in May? That was fun. We do remember that. I remember that. That was like, oh, hey. But, yeah, I mean, the story of this game is the story of the season. The Mets offense sucks. I'm almost kind of happy we got shut out in the last game of the year. So everybody can, like, fester and rue and know that the last game they played all season, they got shut out. Like, I kind of like the bad taste being left in a lot of these guys' mouths, truly. Laid a friggin' egg in the last game of the season, like, just to give us the feeling that we've had all year of this offense is unimpressive and we did it on the last game of the season as well but honestly who cares I, this offense is terrible we know it's terrible i think they are pretty aware of the fact they might just not be that good and i think the front office should be aware of the fact that a lot of these guys just really might not be that great yep and we can take this 2021 team we can dig a dig a hole bury them in there cover it up forget where it is let the grass grow over it let's forget this 2021 season move on to 2022 where there's a lot of great things that we can talk about we've got so many players to possibly talk about just re-signing and then the free agent market is loaded with guys that we can use carlos correa there's guys pitching there's relievers we're going to be able to tell you everything you guys want to hear this offseason i mean coming up what do we got we're going to have report cards for every player on the team so essentially mm-hmm. we're going to go through every single player i think that touched the field because i think that'll be kind of fun Go through every oh, single definitely. one of them, and we'll give them a grade, A through F, just like you would on your report card. I think that's something fun that we can do. Quick grade, Janeshri Vargas. Uh, B plus. Quick grade, Anthony Bonda. Oh, A plus. Oh, okay. Oh, Anthony Bonda, come on. That guy, was, that guy pitched in that one game against Cincinnati and helped us get a win. That is 
miles above what I thought Anthony Bonda could help us do with this team. <laughs> Quick funny stat to uh, we'll end the season here. Brad Hand pitched, I think it was six or eight innings with the Blue Jays this season, and he was worth negative 0.6 war, and they missed the playoffs by one game. So just take that as you will. If you, oh. don't, if you want to miss the playoffs, you roster Brad Hand. Oh my god, no. Yeah. That's... Oh, that's really painful. Yeah, imagine if they didn't trade for him, they'd be in the playoffs. Possibly. really rubbing salt in the wound there. Brad Hand stinks. Can't wait to see him on the team next year. Quick grade for him, James. F minus. Z. A Z. (laughs) Z. Freaking Brad Hand. We will always be anti-Brad Hand on this podcast. One of the few Mets players you'll see us be against. I honestly want to go through his game log as a member of the Blue Jays, just because it's kind of hilarious. He pitched 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 games as a Blue Jay, and he gave up earned runs in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 of them. That's too many. Almost half of his appearances with the Blue Jays, he gave up at least one earned run. He gave up three on two occasions. This guy's a disaster. I don't want him anywhere near this team next year. I really, really, truly don't. No, shouldn't be near the team. So we're going to go through the players. We're going to go through best wins, worst losses. I think we're also going to do a quiz uh, that we saw in Sporkle, which is going to be trying to name every player that has touched the field for the New York Mets this year. I think the two of us will be able to get it done, especially because I'm really good at those Sporkle quizzes. But it'll be nice to have a little bit of help here where where I forget some guys because two brains is better than one. You're way better at that shit than me. I I love Sporkle, and like when I used to like actually work inside of an office, I used to be on there for about a half of my day, just doing old random baseball, football, basketball, like his, historical stuff. But I'm terrible at stuff like that. And then we're also going to go over uh, an entire episode going over the Once Upon a Time in Queens, thirty for thirty. Me and James are planning one day to just hunker down on the couch, uh, enjoy some adult beverages, and see what that uh, 30 for 30 looks like because everybody who's seen it that I've talked to says it was awesome. Now, granted, we don't have the nostalgia of some of the people who have lived those era, but I think it'd be cool for us to see what it was like because, again, we were just, we were not even a thought in 1986 yet. No, and we, like, as just big Mets fans and growing up with two dads who were also massive Mets fans, we know, like, about the essence of the 86 Mets team, but we don't know anything about the nitty-gritty. Like, we don't really know how the day-to-day went how they were perceived. We kind of know how they were perceived, but like the expectations that were placed on them, what led up to it, the downfall of that team. So it'll be nice to watch that. I'm happy that we've both saved it for after the season ends. We're going to wait till there's a couple nice uh, night night baseball games and throw that on in the middle of the day and just have make a day of it. Oh, for sure. And then another little tease that we'll throw out there too is because we've done some interviews on the channel, but they were short, quick ones with the minor league guys. We're also going to plan to do some off-season episodes that are going to be lengthier interviews. Kind of having a guy on as a guest just talking about whatever we want to talk about that episode. Um, Guys like Jeff McNeil hopefully will hop on because I'm somewhat friendly with Jeff and done some things in the past with him. So hopefully he'd be happy to. Luis Guillorme follows me on Twitter. I'd love to get the G-man on here. We love Luis Guillorme. You have some connections as well with possibly a John Franco hookup and who else knows out there. We're going to be looking for guys who have been attached to the Mets one way or another to bring on here to give us some insight, give us some thoughts. Uh, I'm excited. I I think this offseason is going to be interesting because this is our first offseason as a podcast. But I also think this is a chance to really get ahead here because we are going to be killing it here. Do we know what our schedule is going to be like just yet? What we've been thinking? We're going to pick a day in the middle of the week for you guys. And maybe if that day doesn't go well, maybe we'll resort back to doing this uh, Sunday, Monday thing. But as of right now, expect episodes to come once weekly in the middle of the week. That's as specific as I can or I want to be right now. Yeah, we uh, we have you know some real life things to take care of first. And we're going to make sure that we still get you content, though. 
every single week, once a week. And then the YouTube channel will be cutting up those videos and making stuff on there as well. So thank you guys for the amazing support all season long. We really, uh, I don't, I expect it to grow, but I was uh, super pleased with how well it went. Uh, A full year of podcasting about the New York Mets was uh, a living hell in some some aspects, but also really, really fun. And I'm glad that I brought James on to do it with me because I think we made a pretty good duo here on the Mets Up podcast. Um, great season overall for us as a podcast. Uh, great year and excited to get started on 2022 and forget the 2021 season on the field at least because boy, oh boy, outside of the podcast, there wasn't many positives in Mets land. No, it's not. And it's funny, like looking back at like the random Mets schedule and game log for this year, and being able to point to a game or a series, and remembering like exactly what we talked about, exactly what we were feeling, exactly how it went before, exactly how it went after. It's given me like an almost a new and a bit better and like a more appreciative understanding of the ebbs and flows of a Mets season. It is. It is exhausting. Let me tell you, there have been some nights where I was like, oh God, man, we were like. We got to bang this one out here, or grinding through an edit, or going on vacation. We're we're still hopping on to do an episode. We uh we definitely grinded out this year. I've edited episodes on trains, planes, cars, at my parents' house, at my grandmother's house, um, outside. I did a couple outside edits because why the hell not? One in a bar, one in a coffee shop, a couple in a coffee shop. Back, forth, everywhere, anywhere, all for the listeners, all for the Mets, because that's why we're here and that's what we love. And I do want to send out the uh, the listeners with one one classic James stat to end the season here, if you don't mind. Yeah, oh, we got to hear a classic James stat, because you'll pull out something for us. I'm, I'm interested. Well, the Mets, the Angels, and the Tigers all ended the season with the exact same record. Ugh, God. That was it. That's awful. That's, yeah. You talk about having the season end with a bad taste in our mouth. The last episode of the Mets Up season is also going to end with a bad taste in your mouth. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. We really do appreciate the support. Make sure you're still following us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Mets Up, YouTube channel, Mets Up Podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, you'll be able to find us. Make sure you guys drop James a follow. Again, he does all the edits for the audio, so he's grinding out to get those right for you early in the morning. Then I do the video stuff more so than not. So, you know, James James putting in the work, so make sure you drop him a follow. At Jeter Had No Range. You can find me on Twitter at Giraffe Nick Mark. So we're wrapping up episode number 55, the last episode of the 2021 season. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll see you all uh, next week for season two. Here we go. See you guys later. Thanks for listening. <laughs>